Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. I know that Easter, man, it's important. It's got its own spiritual, you know, importance as well. But, man, I can just think back over the course of my life. Easter Sundays were very special. Every family is uh, different. And uh, so I was just reflecting over, you know, all the Easter Sundays with my family. Now, when I grew up, okay, when I grew up, my church, we never had a sunrise service. Anybody know what sunrise service? Remember that? So when I go on staff at a church, my first church as the youth pastor, they go, hey, we're having sunrise service. And I said, what's that? And they said, well, you know, we have an Easter service at 7 a.m., which I thought was the stone even rolled away at 7 a.m. You know, like, really? Okay. All right. But you're on the paid staff. You have no choice. Where is it? It's at the cemetery. Anybody's at the cemetery? Weird, weird. I was afraid to close my eyes and pray. Wasn't sure what's going to happen. And then after church, some churches, they did the full breakfast. You remember that? Biscuits, gravy, eggs, cinnamon rolls, everything. I mean, you had the full breakfast. You're loaded. And then you got to go back to church again. I wasn't in good shape, you know, uh, after I've had a full breakfast buffet that morning. But listen, Easter, Easter is not only, it's got some spiritual significance as well, but also, man, it's a family memory, family tradition. So whatever reason that you came this morning, I want to welcome you and I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank you for coming. So my message title this morning is called, This Is My Story. This morning, I want to tell transformational stories about the power of Jesus and his ability to change lives, okay? You saw some of that in the video. You saw Brent Jones and Julio and Jessica and Doris share just a little of their testimony, their full testimonies on our website under a tab called uh, Best Day Ever, if you want to hear their entire testimony. But I love stories. I love biographies. I love movies that tell a story. I, I love people's life journey. I mean, I'm just, I'm just very, you know, very interested in that. I love Ernest Shackleton and the endurance, that great story. I love that. Klaus von Stauffenberg and Valkyrie. I'd never heard that story before. Unbelievable story. I read the biography of Condoleezza Rice. Man, I was so impressed with, with her life journey and overcoming obstacles through her life. Truett Cathy from Chick-fil-A. Who loves Chick-fil-A? I mean, look, I know they're closed on Sunday, but can you not open just for Easter? You know, wouldn't an Easter chicken mini just start the day off right? I love that story. I love other stories like the Nick Saban story. Man, I love that. I love that. Now, this church hasn't grown to appreciate that story yet, but I'm still working on them. I'm still working on them. I love 
life journeys, and I love stories because everyone's story is unique. Everybody's story is unique. The beginning of a story, you know, the location where people start, uh, you know, kind of their, their beginnings are always different. I love that. I love stories, you know, because every story has a different life-defining moment. Every person is challenged with good, bad twists and turns, ups and downs that, that, that kind of connect to later life. I love reading about life-defining moments. Every person's story has the potential to touch someone's life in a different way. So I love the uniqueness of stories. And this morning, I want to talk about transformational stories, just kind of using the, the Easter message. So I want to start, of course, with the best story, and that's the story of Jesus, all right? So his unique beginning was he's born in the midst of a heavenly choir. The celestial bodies are aligning. Can I just remind you, too, Christmas is only 252 days away, all right? All right, just letting you know. And you know what else that means? Hallmark movies are playing right now, Christmas movies. So he was born, you know, with a manger and the angel, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Wow, what a, what a great beginning. But his impact upon the, on the world and our lives is unmistakable. So he starts with this unique beginning, but then he starts to walk through his life, and there were certain characteristics that began to develop that we saw. So he, 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 was, kind of, he was kind of a revolutionary when it came uh, to the way he lived. You know, not, not just, you know, in, in the way that he lived, but what he taught as well. Kind of have a revolutionary tone to it as well. Not a revolutionary like, like Castro or the Bolsheviks, it didn't come at the, at the tip of a gun. Or he wasn't, he wasn't just a social justice revolutionary like Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King. His, his revolution, you know, what he was trumpeting was, was much greater. He was, he was trumpeting the, the forgiveness of sin, the power to have a changed life. He was pointing people to the kingdom of God. And even when he had the opportunity to kind of be the king of Jerusalem, the king of, of Israel, he declined that throne because he did not want to sit there. He wanted to sit upon the throne of men and women's hearts. So he had this quality of being a revolutionary. He was also known as a teacher. He never wrote a book. He never had academic credentials behind his name. He never had a scholarly mentor, but yet his teachings have been life-changing, all right? Now, his teachings also are counterintuitive to human nature. If you're wealthy, give to the poor. If you're hurt, forgive. Turn the other cheek, walk the other mile. If they ask for your uh, sweater, give them your outer coat as well. If you want to be the greatest, you must learn to be a servant. 
So his teachings were, were counterintuitive to, to human nature at that particular time. He spoke to thousands, but he, he was never too busy just to speak to one. He was also a miracle person, had miracles in his life. Blind eyes, deaf ears, sickness, disease, it didn't matter. There wasn't a miracle that, you know, that, that met Jesus, dead bodies, it just didn't matter. He was a miracle man, but yet he did not come exclusively just to do miracles. The miracles were the platform that he used so that he could present the gospel. Paul encapsulates, or excuse me, Luke encapsulates his life this way. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God, uh, to do you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Can everyone say amen? amen. He lived a great life, but he had some unusual life-defining moments. Life-defining moments you can handle in different ways. Everybody's faced with them. You can make wrong choices at life-defining moments, or you can make right choices at life-defining moments. And here was Jesus' life-defining moments. He was faced with the cross, okay? He was nailed to the cross for the sins of the world. Yes, yours and mine. He had every opportunity to back out. He could have done that. He even mentioned that on a couple of occasions, but he chose to do that. And when he was on the cross, the transfer, a heavenly transfer, began to take place. God took all of our sin collectively and placed it upon the shoulders of Jesus. He also took the righteousness of Jesus and gave it to us as well. So Jesus, while he's on the cross, he's representing all of our sin. And it was so, you know, then when that transfer happened, God could not look upon sin even on the shoulders of his son. And Jesus sensed that and said, God, why, why have you forsaken me? So I want you to know that was a life-defining moment. He had, a, he had an option here. And another life-defining moment was the resurrection, all right? A huge part of Jesus' story is not just miracles and it's not just teachings, but it is the physical resurrection from the dead. So after Jesus dies on the cross, he's already told people that he's coming back you know, but at the tomb on resurrection morning, there's no one there. There was no great anticipation. They weren't sure what he was talking about. So they are back in Jerusalem making breakfast and doing whatever, you know, doing whatever they wanted to do. And man, the only people that were approaching the tomb came to kind of put spices on his dead body. So there was no kind of expectation even among the followers that, that today was going to be anything unique. Now listen to me, because there's a theological significance if you'll give me 
just a moment to the resurrection. All of the New Testament hinges on the physical resurrection of Jesus. All right? It is foundational to what we believe. The physical resurrection of Jesus is foundational to our belief. This is not what critics say, but this is what the Apostle Paul says. Look at this. And if Christ has not been raised, in 1 Corinthians 15, here's what he says. Our preaching is useless. Our faith is worthless. We as followers of Jesus are wasting our lives. God's wrath is not satisfied. Believers are still in sin. Death is still victorious. And we are doomed for eternity. Okay? So the belief in the resurrection is not a theological luxury. It is foundational to everything you and I know about the person of Jesus and living for God. So it doesn't just have a theological significance. It has a significance for everyone. Here's what one man wrote. And I want you to, they're going to put it up here. I want you to think about it. The resurrection of Jesus, if historically proven, is undeniably the single most important event in the history of the world. Think about that. Go back through history. What are some of the most important pivot points throughout history? The foundational points. I want to I say that again. I want you to think about it. The resurrection of Jesus, if historically proven, is undeniably the single most important event in the history of the world. I would agree with that. All right? So maybe you're here today. You know, and when it comes to like miracles and the resurrection and the life of Jesus, maybe you are, you know, may, maybe you're here today and you approach this with a degree of skepticism. Okay, that's fine. It doesn't matter. I'm just glad that you're here. Whatever, whatever beliefs you bring about this, you know, I, that, that's, that's fine with me. But I want to say, too, that you're in good company because even one of Jesus' followers who was named Thomas, he did not believe in the resurrection. He said, unless I see the nails in his hands and the, the nails in his feet and the scars in his side, I won't believe as well. So even one of Jesus' followers initially had some questions about the, uh, uh, about the miracle of the resurrection. One of, our, one of our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, he could not wrap his mind around the miracle of the resurrection. So he took his Bible and he took a razor and he started cutting out every reference to the resurrection when it had to do with the miracle, life-giving, you know, resurrection power of Jesus. That's a picture of his Bible. He just cut it out because he couldn't wrap his mind around the miraculous part of the resurrection, okay? I just want to say to you this morning that we... As followers of Jesus, we believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. There are multiple verified historical proofs. If you want to have a conversation at some point, I'd love to, I'd love to point those out, out to you. But also, we believe that it's a miracle of transformation. What happened in the tomb is practical and it's real. And people today have experienced that personal resurrection for their own life. So I want to just tell you a few stories today about people who had life change. So this resurrection 
is not just something theological that's in seminaries and PhD dissertations. This is something that practically changes people's lives today. Now, we know her in the Bible as the woman at the well. John chapter 4. She had a unique beginning. Everybody has a unique beginning. She was a Samaritan woman. So a Samaritan was, a, was half Gentile and half Jewish. And they lived within Israel. And man, there was racial discrimination, racial intolerance, racial hatred. People, the Jewish people did not like the Samaritans and some vice versa. So, so he, this, that's just kinda, kind of her you know, unique beginning. That had gone on for over a thousand years, that, that generational racial hatred. But there was a life-defining moment that was coming in her life because one day she came to the well the public well, just to get water. It's about noon, and Jesus is there. And he tells her, can I have some water? And she, she you know, talks to him about water, and he responds to her, but if you drink from the water that I give, you will never thirst again. If you drink from physical water, there'll be thirst, but if you drink from the water that I give, you will never thirst again. Powerful statement to this lady. Now, number one, man, Jesus is breaking down. I told you he's a revolutionary because race doesn't matter in the eyes of Jesus. Doesn't matter what your skin color is, what your passport says, what your documentation status is. It doesn't matter. Jesus loves people red, yellow, black, and white. He doesn't, it doesn't matter to him. <clears throat> so as he's talking to her, I love it. He said, hey. Go tell your husband to come back and meet with me. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the one you're, not the one you're with now is not your husband. And immediately, wow. You know, sometimes you can walk with a mask. But then in one sentence, the, the, the pain of your heart becomes exposed before, before the Lord. Can you imagine, maybe some of you walk through divorce. You know what that's like. Can you imagine going through that five times? Going through that, uh, and, and, and now she's just given up on marriage. She's just living, you know, with whoever she can for roof security, you know, some kind of food. She was a social outcast because of her past. That's why she's coming to the well at noon. The other women went in the morning. She's coming by herself because she's been rejected because of her past. And Jesus talks to her. Please listen to me. All right, this is a life-defining moment for her. He is not here to make her feel bad about the sins of her past. He's not there to, to, to make her feel bad about broken marriages. He is there because a woman has deep wounds and deep hurts, and he wants to heal, and he wants to restore. So her story, because her, I, I said stories can touch people in different ways. Her story says to us this morning, at your lowest point, you will always find Jesus. Whenever it all falls apart 
and everybody turns their back on you and they unfollow you and you're all disconnected when there's no one else in the shadow of your sin, in the shadow of your failure, that's where you will always find Jesus. <clears throat> this lady was broken. She's at a low point in her life, crushed dreams, broken heart, shattered life. Is that you this morning? Is that you? You look back over your life and man, it did not turn out like you had planned. It's not even close to what you were dreaming about when you were a young person. I want you to know this morning that Jesus does not come to you with a stick to beat you down over what has happened in the past. He comes with a hand of hope extended with a message of restoration. If you will just give him an opportunity, he can turn your life around. In Isaiah, I love this passage. He says he gives us beauty for ashes, ashes. When everything's burned out and destroyed, all messed up, and we spend all of our time trying to recreate our life from, from ashes, something that's already blown up and gone away, he says instead of, he'll give you beauty instead of ashes. You get a second chance. You start over. He can renew you. He's got a second chance. He's got another chapter in your story that he wants to write. That woman, after her interaction with Jesus, she said, I want to go back to my village because I want to tell about a man that told me everything that I'd ever done. And she goes back and she tells them everybody's story has the potential to touch people in a different way. Can I give you another story from the Bible this morning? Her name is Mary Magdalene, okay? Now, her unique beginning is her life-defining moment, okay? So... When her name is first mentioned in the Bible, I want to read it to you because, like, you don't, you don't kind of get to warm up on a resume. Here's what it says about Mary Magdalene. Here's her introductory statement. Twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, whom seven demons had been cast out. Okay? So here she is. This is her unique beginning. But it's also her life-defining moment, all right? Now listen, she had made poor spiritual choices over the course of her life, and she was paying the consequences for the poor spiritual choices. Listen to me. God's not out to beat you. God's not against you. But sometimes people are making poor choices, and you even know that they're poor People are telling you you shouldn't go down that you shouldn't go down that path and here she finds herself under spiritual oppression because of some of her some of her life choices okay now you may you know you may feel the same way you may feel hopeless you may feel forgotten you may feel destitute and lonely and desperate no options no hope that was her up until her encounter with Jesus when she was set free, her life-defining moment, her, her unique story and her life-defining moment are all colliding in one sentence, and there was a, a healing and a restoration in her life. You may be a visitor here today. You may be new 
You may be new to church. You may have been out for several years but because of the pandemic. You may be watching online just because you, need, you feel like you need to do something for Easter this morning. I want you to know there is hope and restoration through the power of Jesus and the hope of the cross. Now, you may look around here this morning and go, man, look at that crowd. They look good. I could never measure up there. Well, you know, some makeup and some hair color and a spray tan will do wonders for people. All right? All right? I mean, everybody's looking good today. All right? You may go, I never, I never could fit in a church. You don't know what I've done. You don't you don't know what my past is. I couldn't, I couldn't fit in a church. Not welcome. Look, you don't, you don't know. But let me just tell you, you don't know about the people that go here. All right? You don't know. This ain't the museum of the perfect. I want to tell you that. I pastor this bunch. All right? We got people here that have had addiction issues, drug addictions, and battled it. Some are still battling, but they're hanging in. Some have had alcoholic addictions. Some are still kind of struggling with that, but they're hanging in. Marriages that have been broken, people that have been, you know, in jail, been, been arrested, have a, you know, they have a, a, a legal record. Matter of fact, God let them out this morning on parole. They're sitting next to you, so they got to go back right after church. <clears throat> hey, I just want to tell you, I just want to tell you. So if you think I could never go to church because I don't have the perfect story that I'm telling you, you don't know this church. And you don't know most churches. Let me tell you. You don't know their past. You don't know their sin. You don't know their story. You don't know their brokenness. You don't know how the Savior's touched their life. You don't know the joy that's come in their heart since they've turned everything over for Jesus. We're not perfect people here, but we're just trying to do our best to follow the Lord. <clears throat> Those are Bible stories. What happened back then? Well, you know, there's still... Life transformation, the, the power of the resurrection doesn't have an age to it, okay? So, yeah, there were people that were touched in biblical times, but there are still people experiencing God's power right now. There's still transformational stories that are happening. Some of you may be familiar with Kurt Warner, the, the uh, NFL football player. He's considered the NFL's greatest undrafted player. He played for 12 seasons with the Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. He's the only undrafted player to be named NFL MVP and Super Bowl MVP. And with all of that going, his kind of unique beginning, he has a life-defining moment in the midst of success and notoriety. He has a life-defining moment. Let's take a minute and let... Let Kurt tell it in his own words. So I grew up in the church, went to a Catholic school all growing up. My mom was making sure that we went to, to church every Sunday. I understood the stories. I understood, uh, you know, Jesus and, and how all of that worked. But it was never really personal for me until after uh, I met my wife. When we were going out or, or when we were spending time together, it was either us making out 
or us talking about Jesus. It was one of those two things. I wanted more of the making out. She wanted to talk more about Jesus. He's such a she guy. She challenged me uh, early and often in our relationship about what I believed and why I believed it. I think before that, I always felt faith was kind of, well, God was out there and whenever I needed him, he was like my, my spare tire that when I get a flat, uh, I'll go and pop the trunk and, and pull out the spare and God, you know, I, I need this. But you dive into the Bible and you actually start reading the Bible for the first time in that kind of context. And you start to realize, oh shoot, I had this mixed up. That, uh, that God's not just here for me, that the goal is that I'm here for him. I'm here to give my life for him as, as Jesus did for me. And it started to become real. I started to understand and take a different perspective on what life was all about. And it took some, some, some crazy moments to, to really understand that. And uh, you know, one of those moments was when her parents were you know, tragically killed in a tornado. I remember how you know, she didn't have all the answers. She was, uh, she was angry uh, and she was willing to, to call out to God and, and ask God why and, and yell and scream, uh, but never lose her faith. It was never one of those things where, oh, God, you allowed this to happen to us, so now I'm gonna walk away from you. That's what a relationship is to me. It's about being able to, uh, you know, to disagree in moments, to be angry in moments, but not allow that to stop the relationship. And to me, that was when I kind of stepped back and go, everything that she's been talking to me about, this is what it looks like. This is what it's supposed to be. And it was in those moments where I came to realize, okay, I've never had that. And that's exactly what I want. Um, and it was at that time where I really committed my life uh, to Jesus. Amen. In, in the midst, so, so sometimes your life doesn't always have to be falling apart. Sometimes you can be doing well, but still there's something on the inside of your heart that goes, hey, there's something worth, there's something more. There's got to be more to life than just money and owning things. And here's a, a, a sports professional that found faith in Jesus Christ in the, in the midst of, 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 of great, great wealth. I want to tell you, let you see another story. Her name is of Esther Fleece. Esther comes out of a, probably one of the most tragic homes. Some, maybe some of you will identify with this. Physical abuse from her mom and her father, and her father over the course of her life just kept pursuing her. There was just, all through her life, there was just this family dysfunction. <clears throat> and some of you, you know, some of you will identify with this because your home life wasn't perfect, but I want to say if you did not start perfect, it doesn't mean that God is through or that you're damaged good. So I want you to look at her unique beginning, even when it starts with a negative, but I want you to look at the life-defining choice that she had. Watch this. Grew up in a pretty normal family. It seemed like we were a close family. I don't know if it was just like overnight things got bad or if it was just that I started noticing. My mom would just have 
bruises on her. She became very fearful. We would just have to leave immediately. We'd have to leave the house and we'd go stay in hotels. I was just so confused. We'd go to Salvation Army in the morning to pick out clothes, but like we were in suburbia. We had a nice house. We had nice things. I just remember the police being at our house so frequently that I thought they were friends with my dad. They were always there. Just started seeing the violent episodes more and more. It's pretty hard to hide blood. It was like my hero was becoming the most unsafe man that I had ever been around. I'm never gonna have my home again. I'm never gonna have, you know, a healthy dad that calls me beautiful. It's, it's like I don't understand why I'm so hard to love. Am I like that hard to just want to have a relationship with me? My parents didn't see value in me. I guess I don't see value in myself either. I guess this life I created is plastic and can be taken away any second. It's like I started hating life all over again. The only comfort that I had was reading the Bible. This man named David was running for his life from a crazy man that was like a father figure. And I'm like, well, what did David do? I just started devouring scripture. Okay, well, so what do I do next? Okay, now I'm like supposed to feel all these things for the first time and like, my goodness, all these feelings are already written down in the book of Psalms. There's agony and, and the psalmist is crying out like, how long is this going to happen? Like. God, have you forgotten about me? It was just like, scripture was like normalizing me. I just felt like God was mean, you know? I just felt like he was uninterested and like uninvolved and I don't know, it was just this moment that I saw him being broken as really kind for me. It just became personal, even if my mother and father are never gonna be mother and father. Somebody wanted to love me. I would just sleep on my Bible. I thought if my biological father is going to take my life, then let me be found laying on a Bible because it's the only thing that gets me. So, <clears throat> when you come out of a, a unique background, but it's completely negative and it's completely dysfunctional, you know, there are life-defining moments. Now, many people in those times, they, they can double down into bitterness and hate and anger. They can go into addictions. They can go into addictive lifestyles if they want. But I'm telling you that if you're in that beginning, that is not necessarily your end, Okay. She had a life-defining moment, but, but she found faith in Jesus. She found hope in the midst of, let me just say, that would be a darkness. My, my family's all intact. I came out of a postcard kind of family, so I can't even relate 
to something like that. Some of you can. And I want you to know if your beginning started rough with family dysfunction, then you do not have to continue down the path of dysfunction yourself. I'm telling you this morning, there is hope and there is healing through the person of Jesus and the power of the cross. So we're all all here for different reasons this morning. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just, I'm just glad you're here. Now, I wanna, I, I've just been telling stories, transformational stories. I want you to know that the man, the resurrection is not just stuffy theology, but man, it's it's actual life change, life transformation. Now, let me just say this. You Don't become a follower of Jesus, because I want to talk to you about that. You don't become a follower of Jesus by knowing information about Jesus in the Bible, okay? So when you get to heaven, it's not a big Bible quiz when you get to heaven. Like how much you know, because some of you, it's Noah and the the ark and Daniel in the lion's den and Jonah in the whale. That's all you got. I mean, if it wasn't for animals, you wouldn't know anything about the Bible, In the New Testament, it's Jesus wept. That's all you know. Jesus wept. That's it. So don't go and rely on that. But but it wouldn't matter anyway. You don't become a follower of Jesus by, by knowing information about Jesus in the Bible. You don't become a follower of Jesus by attending church. Just going to church. Just punching a card. That's a wise thing to do, but there's more to faith in being a follower of Jesus than just showing up at church. You don't become a follower of Jesus by your family's generational faith. Some of you have decades of of your family and generations that have served the Lord. That is great, but I want you to know that means absolutely nothing when you stand before God because he wants to know what has Jesus done in your life and you don't become a follower of Jesus by doing good deeds for others and being a good person. We're not just trying to elevate our morality because it does not matter. We would never attain righteousness and and God's favor just by benevolent deeds. All right? So keep those examples in mind because I want to give you an illustration. All right? So if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you got cancer and here's the chemo that you need to take that will help you. This is the medicine you need to take that will help you. And you go, got it, got it. All right, so come back in six weeks. So you come back in six weeks and the doctor says, hey, how are you doing? Have you been taking your medicine? And you go, no, no, but I've just been trying to inform myself a little bit about cancer, about its, you know, about its therapies and all of that, you know, so I've just been trying to gain more knowledge about it. And the doctor would go, well, that's well and good, but that won't help what's going on in your body. You come back later. Have you been taking your medicine? No, but I've been attending meetings I've been hanging out with people, you know, survivor support and all of that. That's well and good, but that doesn't help what you need at the moment. So you come back later. Have you taken your medicine? You got this disease in your body and you respond, no, 
My family's never had it. My family's all good, so I don't see the need in that. But it's still not helping, even though those things are good, uh, that you have clean DNA. It's not helping on the inside. And the last time that you go, you know, what, you know, have you taken your medicine? No, I've been doing you know, helping the poor. I've been, you know, trying to help foster kids and and help other people. That's all well and good. Good deeds are good. But it doesn't help, you know, the, the, the issue that's going on in your body. So I want to say, you know, we look at different way, different things sometimes and think that makes me right with God. But I want you to know this morning, That the only antidote for the spiritual cancer that is in your life and in your heart is the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. He'll forgive your sin, restore your life, and man, give you a new beginning. He says it this way. Worship team, you can come. Praise be to God, our Father. In his great mercy, look at this. He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You catch the word? New birth. You start over. Anything that was done in the past, you know, is is done. You're new. You have a new identity. And he says a living hope. For those that have been living hopeless and you think my life is this, it's karma, this is what it will always be, it will always be bad, it will always be negative, look at that. He's given us a new birth, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. All right? He says, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, look at that, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit, okay? So it says when you come to Christ, you don't join a club. This isn't a club you join. We're just going to hang out with some people who are trying to be a little bit more moral in their life. I am telling you, there is a transformation of the heart, mind, and life if you will give Jesus that opportunity. He said it, I want to repeat it again. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead when he was in the tomb, nothing Jesus did at the moment, it was God's power that worked upon him. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then you will also experience that same spiritual transformation in your life. All right? And here's the thing. You're not just forgiven of your sin, but you walk into a new life. Okay? We're not just dealing with the past, trying to clean up a few messes here, but there's transformation. There's a start over, a reboot deleting files, new identity, whatever you want to call it, a second chapter, a new story in your life. Your life-defining moments up up to this moment doesn't have to be the final chapter of your life, but there's another life-defining moment that stands in front of you. And I think you'll find, too, when you allow Jesus to work in your heart, Okay, you open yourself up to him. He's more 
than just an Easter Jesus. He's more than just a Christmas Jesus. He's a fiery fire. I can't say it. Fiery fire. I can't say it. Fiery furnace Jesus. Delete that whole paragraph. He's a value of the shadow of death, Jesus. When I'm broke, Jesus. I mean, when, when everybody's run away from me, man, he stands there. He's with you every step of the way. And you can have a new story as well. We sang a line in that song, and I want to sing it again. It says, I'm alive to tell the story. Brent, would you lead us in that? Let's sing this together. I'm alive to tell the story How I pulled the cup His goodness and mercy His I'm so glad that my freedom Was amazed to what I've done His goodness and mercy I want you to hear some stories of people that are in our church. Good morning. Hello, my name is Javali, and this is my story. Um, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home where we went to church all the time or anything like that. We believed, you know, that there, there was a God. My family was Catholic. Um, I was raised by a single mother um, with my siblings, and she later remarried. And I grew up in a home where my stepfather was an alcoholic. He was abusive. He used to hit my mom. And uh, I used, that built so much anger in me as a child because I couldn't do anything to defend her or do anything, but that built a lot of hatred. Um, moving on forward, age of 13, I became a runaway. And then the first time I attempted suicide, um, I was put on depression pills. I was told I was depressed. So at the age of 13, um, just started living, you know, crazy life. I dropped out of school and I began, um, I started living a life uh, in drugs for 10 years. Um, started with, um, you know, weed and from there at the age of 22, I almost uh, lost my life on Halloween due to, by that time I was a junkie. So, um, got to that point. But when I came to to Christ in 2007. I accepted Christ so many times back home. You know, I used to have a family member. My aunt was always on me about going to church, and I'd be like, fine, just so she could leave me alone. But I used to make sure I was super high before I went to church. So, and I accepted Christ so many times, but it wasn't until I came here in 2007. I was sent here to Florida with my book bag, with some clothes. I had hit rock bottom. Um, I was at the lowest. I was broken. I was hopeless. I had a lot of hatred, everything. And when I accepted Christ, he took all that away. Um, he gave me all the things I never thought I could have. Um, I graduated from high school. I got my degree in college. I met my husband at church. He blessed me with kids, with a good job. Everything that I have is because of him. I never went to rehab. My rehab was Jesus. He became my new addiction. And it's because of him, what you see now is what he has done. You know, I was the, the little black shepherd. And when I became a Christian, you know, when I started reading the Bible, <laughs> um, when I got to Psalms 107, which this really, I, I felt that it was part of my testimony because I went through this. As I was doing drugs alone in my apartment, I would cry out to God 
and ask him to take me out of that stage. Take me out of here, God. I would cry out as I was getting high. And so in Psalms 107, verse 13 says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. And that's exactly what he did. story. I grew up in a church. I grew up with a Christian family, had everything. We were in church every time the doors were open. I knew Christ. I knew him. But we moved back to Florida when I was um, going into high school. My dad retired from the Air Force, and everything changed. Everything that I knew changed, and there were no kids my age that went to my church, and so it was it was an embarrassing thing to talk about church for me. So I ended up just kind of straying, um, nothing nothing hard, no drugs, nothing like that, but just straying and not wanting to be that weird person. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be accepted, and so um, graduated from high school. And uh, that summer was in a relationship that was really bad. It was. Um, abusive and it was just not a good place for me to be and out of that I became pregnant and I knew that the answer wasn't to continue in that relationship and so I made a decision to to stay a single parent and be a single parent and God's blessed me immensely I have a wonderful daughter and her family I have four fabulous grandchildren and you know God is such a blessing he's such he just gives us what we need and uh, fast forward you know through all of that I really battled God's call on my life. And uh, fast forward a few years, I found myself um, a Saturday morning, my mother woke me up and said, hey, you need to get up and get dressed. Um, Ricky's got some tickets to uh, this conference, and he needs you to go with him. He was my cousin. And so I, I didn't want to go, but I got up and I got dressed, and we drove over to Tampa, and he didn't say anything. Right as we were getting there, I said, Ricky, what, what are we doing? And uh, we went to a Mike Murdoch Supernatural Singles Seminar. And when he told me that's where we were going, I really got angry because I didn't want to be in anything that was church. It was from 8 o'clock to 4 o'clock on a Saturday. It was like the whole day. I was really angry. The moment that Mike Murdoch walked out on the stage, the Holy Spirit just broke my heart. And that entire day, that entire day, I did nothing but cry. I don't even remember a whole lot of what was said or on because the Holy Spirit was just dealing with me. He was taking all that anger and the bitterness and everything that I felt, and he dealt with it. He put it away. And so just from that moment on, you know, God's call is here. My call is to serve, and we're all called to serve. No matter what we do, God calls us to serve, to be a ministry to people that are hurting. And so if you're discouraged, if, you've, if you don't think you can do it, just remember God's there. His call never fades. It doesn't go away. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, he's there. 
gosh. Before I met, before uh, my life before Christ, it was dark for me. I had a drinking problem, and I drank a lot. Six o'clock came around. It was drinking time. I had a bottle in the freezer. I had a bottle in the safe, and I picked one up at the liquor store. I drank for years. I was depressed. Um, went through a nasty uh, uh, breakup. Uh, was battling a um, custody uh, battle for years, and um, that ate at me. Um, so I, I thought drinking was uh, was going to heal that. So I went to see the judge. I got awarded custody, and I continued to drink afterwards. Um, it, it wasn't up until about three or four, about three and a half years ago, my wife, she drug me to church. She said, Josh, you need to check out this church. <laughs> I was sitting over there. And... Um, uh, Pastor Josh, he pulled out the card, said, hey, you know, here's some prayer requests. So I wrote three things. God, help me. That's all I wrote. Okay? And after that, shortly after that, my mom, she passed away. So I'm getting back into church. I'm trying to stop drinking. And you take my mom. I was just at the fair with her just a week prior, and he took my mom. It's all right. I looked at God. I said, God, what are you doing to me? The week after my mom passed away, came to church. For the first time during worship, I spread my arms, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm not done. From that day on, it was Monday. It was the day after church. I text my wife. I said, hey, babe, pour out the bottle in the freezer. Serious. Hold on. It gets better. I said, go in the gun safe and throw that bottle away too. Because I've always had two bottles at the house. I never just had one. Because uh, I knew when 6 o'clock came around, I was going to take that lid and throw it in the trash can. Because that bottle was going to be gone. So she poured it out. She said, are you sure? I said, I'm positive. <clears throat> 6 o'clock after work. It was that Monday after I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was driving home. My car was trying to make a right to the liquor store. But it knew. I said, nope. Keep going straight. I went. I went straight home. From that day, almost three and a half years, I haven't had a drink since then. And I just, I just ask if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to do so today, he will change your life. He will change your life, okay? When... Just, just one last thing. I have to preach this. Just one last thing. When, when I lost my mom, she was our full-time nanny, okay? So my wife and I worked. We had two jobs. We were financially stable because my mom, she allowed that. <clears throat> when I lost her, I sat on the couch the next day. I looked at Katie. I said, what do I do? I Googled, I Googled 
what do I do with a passed away person? That was by myself. I don't have family here. Nobody helped me bury my mom, okay? So we got that figured out. I looked at her. I said, now who's going to quit their job? Who's going to quit? We both can't work. Can we do daycare? So there was a lot of what ifs in the air. Katie decided to quit her job and was a single income for about three and a half years, okay? Accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I give more today than I did when we had two incomes. I'm serious. I give more today than I did when I have two incomes, okay? We're financially stable, okay? God is good. Katie, two weeks, two months ago, just got a job offer in a corporate office. Now we're back to two incomes. I get to give more, all right? Thank you. from God. Maybe you've never been a follower of Jesus. You don't have to join a club. It's just a couple of simple things to be a follower. Number one, it's just admit that you need God in your life. You know, like if you'll do three things, God will do three things. If you'll just admit that you need God in your life, if you believe in what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection Romans says that you'll be saved if you confess your sins just say God hey I'm a sinner I messed up if you'll do three things then God will do three things if you'll admit believe and confess then God will do three things for you he'll forgive your sin whatever you've done it doesn't matter you don't bear that anymore that's been wiped away from the courts of heaven he'll give you a new life all right you have a new identity through Christ and you'll have eternal life as well you won't worry about you know what what happens in the afterlife you'll be ready to meet God so if you'll do three things 
admit, believe, and confess, then he'll do three things. He'll forgive your sin, he'll give you a new life, and he'll give you eternal life. Would you just bow your heads with me today? Thank you, Lord, for this congregation of people. And Lord, I pray, God, that you are speaking to hearts this morning. And God, I pray the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, for some, this service has been designed uniquely for them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak with every head bowed, eye closed. Would you just, and if you just want to become a follower of Jesus, ask the Lord into your heart this morning. Would you just raise your hand up and down? Say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? I need I need to get my life right with God. Yeah, I see hands. I need to get my life right with God. I need to come back. Some of you are prodigals. Some of you, this isn't a foreign message to you for whatever reason. This is your moment to come back to faith, come back to Christ. They're going to put a prayer on the screen. And I want you to look at that. And I want you to pray just in your own way. I just want you to to, uh, to pray that prayer. Lord, I know I've broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you and I'm truly sorry and I want to turn from my sinful past towards you. Lord, you know, please forgive me. Man, if, the, if that's the prayer that you prayed, man, if that's, then, then you've done it. If you've trusted Christ, you know, with your, with your heart and with your life, that's great. Most everyone here this morning has walked through that step. You heard those testimonies this morning. These weren't perfect people. The ones that were on the stage weren't perfect people. But man, God saved them and God turned them around. And I just want to say again, he restores. What you look as wrecked and junked, God can give new life. He can restore that. We're going to sing that again and we're going to let you go. What the cross meant for me. And if there's any of you that need prayer, special prayer this morning for whatever it is, as they sing that, if you'll, man, if you just want to walk forward this morning, we've got some people that will pray with you today. Can we just sing that again? If you just need prayer this morning, want to talk to someone, want to come to the altar this morning, we'd, we'd love to meet you down here and pray with you this morning. Sing that with us today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.